1: Hello everybody, it's just after 8 o'clock on a Wednesday night, it's Midweek Motorsport on RadioLamont.com. Series 10, episode 37, would you believe I'm John Hindhoff? Nick Damon uh, is joining me here, but there's no time even to introduce him tonight because we have a world exclusive for you, just time to tell you that uh, Tim Gray is on assignment tonight, so up in London is Johnny Palmer, good evening Johnny.
2: Good evening John.
1: And on the programme tonight, other than our world exclusive, we have?
3: Of course, we have all the usual features.
1: it! excellent stuff. Good work at the weekend as well, young man. And you, I do think uh, Alex Brundle is becoming far too good. We're going to have to tape his mouth up or something, or we're all going to have no work. His
2: progress is becoming worrying for me, I have to say. I think I might be out of work in the next six months.
1: Yeah, good effort from the IMSA Radio team, also Bruce and Sam, who did Super GT at the weekend but uh, this is as of nothing compared to our exclusive this weekend or this week should I say um, we've done this before where we've had uh, sanction to go ahead of the embargo which is at nine o'clock tonight so just about 58 minutes earlier than anyone else is uh, talking about this we can say hello to Jota Racing and to Sam Hignett. good evening Sam uh, evening John how are you sir yeah, very well, and yourself? Uh, good. And you've stepped up to the breach again, and allowed us to break uh, some very exciting news. Uh, give us the headline first, and then we'll uh, and then we will uh, discuss the ramifications of it.
2: Okay. Well, the headline, as it's written on the press release, Jota Motorsport and Arden International Motorsport partner to provide drivers with multiple opportunities.
1: That's a very long way around <laughs> of seeing that we're looking at something brand new in motorsport. Arden, clearly a big name in single-seaters, right up to uh, the you know the very doorstep of Formula One, and, and Christian Horner, of course, looking after Red Bull as well. Um, you guys with the sports cars, what does that mean in practice, and what's it going to mean for drivers?
2: In practice, it means that we're trying to ease the transition for single-seater drivers into sports car racing and even the other way around, you know, sports car drivers into single-seaters. And by working with Arden, we're hoping to make that transition easier and enable it to happen more often. Uh,
1: I'll, I'll, we've, we're going to speak to um, an Arden representative in a little while, but I'll ask you this question uh, as well. Does this come about because of the bottleneck in single-seaters? Is that where the idea came from?
2: Yeah, the, the bottleneck in single-seaters uh, and also the difficulty that we've had as a sports car team trying to attract single-seater drivers into LMP2 and the FIA, WEC and the ELMS. And, you know, you've got two contradicting situations there and the opportunity is to bring the drivers over.
1: And practically, then, what is it going to mean, first of all, for for Jota?
2: So for us, it means that we've got the door open through Arden into the single-seater market. Um, And hopefully that's going to mean that drivers who, you know, Arden are a hugely respected name in the single-seater business. And with their blessing, they will hopefully be sending some drivers our way and helping us attract some single-seater drivers. And likewise, for Arden... It means that they've got another string to their bow. There's another opportunity for them to allow their drivers to go into.
1: This comes about clearly because of the transferability, if that's a word, of, uh, of driving skills. We've seen recently, haven't we, Sam, uh, people like Harry Tinknell come through, Mitch Evans, these sort of people who've been very good in single-seaters, and they've taken to LMP2 particularly well.
2: Yeah, absolutely, and and it's been you know we started with bringing Oliver Turvey out of single seaters, then Harry Tinknell and latest Mitch Evans, and it's an enormous amount of work to bring these guys across, but once they're in, they love it, they're fixed, and and they can see a future. And Oliver's now in Super GT. We all know that Harry's with Nissan in LMP1, and uh, we see what happens with Mitch, but. It's that opportunity that we've got, which hopefully we can attract some more drivers into.
1: So, what we're seeing here is not necessarily an alternative career for single seat drivers, for those that come um, from that into sports cars, but what, a sideways move, another string to the bow, a, an extra paragraph in the CV?
2: Yeah, just that. It's, it's a sideways move. But, you know, prior to this deal, this partnership, the, the two disciplines, single-seater racing and sports car racing, might as well have been rally and single-seater racing. You know They, they were yeah. seen and perceived as two completely different things. What we're trying to do and what Jota's been doing over the last few years and what this partnership does is prove the point that the disciplines are very similar and there are plenty of opportunities in sports cars for suitably talented drivers.
1: In terms of career progress, is it... Um, attractive for a particularly funded single-seater driver to be able to put uh, a budget into sports cars. Presumably the funding level required to do sports cars at a pretty high possibly even up to a a world championship level is certainly not any more than doing single-seaters to GP2 or GP3 level.
2: No, it's not, Um, but it's a very, very different mindset and it's not something that these funded drivers and their sponsors and families have had on the horizon. So when I go knocking on their door, it's, it's quite a difficult sell. You know, it's something completely different. What we hope this partnership will do is that it just opens their eyes to the opportunities earlier on and they see that if the Formula One door doesn't open, maybe the sports car door can open for them.
1: Is is it a case? I mean, as you say about knocking on people's doors, what's the hardest part of that? Sell, Sam. Is it you know you are sharing a car with someone else, and particularly an NMP two that that might be a a non professional driver.
2: Yeah, I mean, I don't think that's uh, the the major difficulty. The major difficulty is is the blinkered nature of uh, drivers really? trying to get to Formula One. Um, and their lack of awareness of how big and how great Le Mans, et cetera, is. And, you know, Mark Webber coming into the FIA WEC is a great help to us uh, in terms of awareness of these drivers and career paths. But it is, you know, these guys are quite rightly single-minded. They're going to Formula One, um, and it's just generating the awareness that there are other opportunities out there just as exciting
1: and with greater earning potential at the end of the day. Well, you mentioned Mark Webber there, and of course, if we go back far enough, Mark started his international career, and effectively his works career, as a sports car driver, as did people like Heinz Harald Frensen, to a certain extent, even Michael Schumacher, and they transitioned back from very high-level sports cars with Mercedes-Benz, back eventually into Formula One. Are, Are you talking about possibly recreating those type of days, or do you think that the... The guys in Formula One now are so much in the bubble that looking outside of single-seaters is perhaps a little much to ask.
2: I think, yeah, perhaps for if you put Formula One on a pedestal and, and look at it in that way, yes, I think it's, it's probably a bit much to ask. But I believe the transition backwards and forwards between sports cars and single-seaters, that era is coming back. And I say that because we see... LMP2 in sports car racing and mm. LMP1 becoming so competitive now mm. that it's not just a case of finishing the race and getting a result. It's a flat-out dash to the flag. And so these drivers are you know, very, very good drivers. Any driver getting on the podium in LMP2 needs to be a seriously talented guy. And so it's, there's not a talent gap anymore. The, no. These guys can transition. And we see now Oliver Turvey, great example, has picked up a Formula E drive. So he's gone full circle once again.
1: Yeah, that's that's very interesting. Uh, looking slightly further ahead, you guys are the first guys to do this, yourselves and, and Arden. Um, it sounds to me like there is a gap in the market and this might not be the last we hear of this. Well, we're
2: pioneering it and uh, hopefully being the first in we'll be the most successful at it. Good but uh, I wouldn't be surprised to see other people copying what we're doing at some point in the future.
1: Uh, got some tweets coming in from the fans. Basically, you know, I think this is going to go down very well and seems to be. Uh, but uh, the the question that I've got to ask now is um, full professional P2 teams. We see it in the States, in IMSA, um, uh, the prototype category can have a full professional driving squad. At the moment in ELMS and even in the World Championship, that's not the case. Is there a time around the corner where there might be a business case from, put forward from people like yourselves to the FIA and the ACO to have a fully pro LMP2 category in, form, in terms of the driving talent?
2: Yes, I, I think there very much is. You know, if, if deals like this, partnerships like this, mean that you can attract enough sufficiently funded, talented professional drivers to put a pro car together then i think uh, everybody needs to look at an all pro lmp2 option in the future and i i think in my conversations with many silver drivers that would be looked upon you know quite favorably
1: it sounds very exciting well done for being the first to do it uh, and are you prepared to say that it's going to make any changes to uh, to your plans for next year? Or is is that is that the general idea, Sam, that you guys would would step up and perhaps put extra cars on the track?
2: Uh, yep, we, we have to see what happens with it all. But yeah, the idea is that uh, Jota can grow its presence in sports cars, and and who knows what might happen in the in the future with the association and the partnership with Arden. Who knows how many cars jointly we could have out there?
1: I take it it was a relatively easy, uh, easy choice um, when you look down through the potential list of partners. Arden, if you started in the A to Z, you wouldn't get any much further than the years, would you? Because they've got such a brilliant uh, track record, literally. Yes.
2: Yeah. It was. It was a very simple choice. I've known Julian Rouse, who's the general manager at Arden. Uh, you know, we've grown up in motorsport together, so I've known him for a very long time. Um, we first began to discuss this at the British Grand Prix this year, and so clearly it hasn't taken long to dot the I's and cross the T's and make the uh, partnership public.
1: Thanks for coming on, Sam. Uh, well done for getting it put together so quickly. Sam Hignett there of Jota, Midweek Motorsport, on the Jota-Arden partnership. It's an exclusive here this Wednesday night. Sam there talking about Julian Rouse. Julian is the general manager of Arden and joins us on the phone now. Evening, Julian.
4: Good evening, how are you doing?
1: I'm very good. So tell us about this partnership between Arden and Jota. Um, it's not been done before, as far as I'm aware, pairing up two uh, well-known, uh, very well-known teams in very different parts of the sport. What's the thinking behind this, Julian? Well, it's,
4: um, yeah, it's an interesting uh, sort of new, uh, new direction. And um, it's come about, really. We're um, obviously uh, looking to always uh, strengthen and up in as many ways as we can as a company. And um, we've got to know uh, Jota as a company and the people that are involved there over the uh, course of the last sort of six months or so. And um, the uh, the sort of um, philosophies and ethos and, uh, and ideas behind how Joto operates and how Arden operates are, are, are very similar, although they're in, in two different sort of spectrums of the motorsport industry. Um, and uh, you know, having discussed it for a while now, we we felt it would be a really good opportunity to, um, to sort of work together in, in partnership. Is
1: this in in part, Julian, a function of? let's call it a bottleneck in single seater racing where talented and well-funded drivers can get as far as gp3 gp2 and then dot 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 dot
4: i think that i mean people talk about the perception of a of a bottleneck um, rightly or wrongly so but there's there's always opportunities for for drivers to move forward professionally in the in the single seater environment i mean we we've, we've worked with um, you know, the likes of Carlos Sainz and, and Daniel Kvyat in the last few years who who are now both professional drivers in Formula One. So, um, you know, there's there is always, you know, good opportunities there, um in, in the single seater environment. But um yeah, it just allows us to um to, to to sort of have the opportunity to um, you know, give the people that we're working with um just different options really. Mm. Um And and having, you know, a a number of different options uh, just adds to the strength of the whole thing.
1: Clearly, we've seen in the past with people like Harry Tinknell and Mitch Evans and one or two others that the skills that are acquired by young single-seater formula drivers uh, are immense, uh, definitely transferable um, over to LMP2. And indeed, LMP1 that clearly is for want of a better word that's a selling point it's not as if people are going to have to learn new skills
4: well absolutely you know the the, the level that um, the endurance racing is now you know the reliability and the quality of the cars and the tyres uh, also it, it means that um, you know the the uh, the pace of, of the races, um, you know, even in the case of the 24-hour race at Le Mans, you know, the pace is very high and, and the level required from the drivers to compete at that level is is, um, is extremely high as well. So, um, you know, I think they take all of the skill set from the single-seater racing and, and, and it's, you know, transferable and, uh, you know, the teams that are in sports cars and looking for young professional drivers... Mm. You know, uh, are keen to have a look at how they're they're operating and performing in the single-seater world. I,
1: I think it's fairly easy to see the advantage that the sports car world gets out of this, and and therefore, um, by extension, Jota. What do you feel Arden will get out of this? This is not a, a part of motorsport that you've been involved in in the past, and whilst I appreciate this is a partnership and not you guys giving up anything you're doing, where's the, if you will, the business sense in this feat for, for Arden?
4: Well, ultimately, we're, um, we're in the industry uh, tasked with the responsibility of trying to help develop the careers of young single seater drivers and essentially young drivers looking for a professional career. And, um, you know, we, we are happy and confident and, and excited about the fact that, you know, working in partnership with a, with a team like Jota just, uh, allows the drivers that we're working with and helping to develop, um, create, um, more opportunity for themselves. Um, and so it's, it's a massive benefit in that respect. um, to, to Arden um and and uh, the drivers that we're working with currently and going to be working with in the future you know so that's uh, a big element of it um we're interested and, and have been for a while in in the sports car side of things um and I think from both sides uh, mutually um there will be uh, certain uh, ways and practices and work ethics uh, that that Arden and Joda have, and I think that both can benefit from from learning and developing uh, from from each other, so I think uh, you know from a business side of things, helping create new opportunities for young drivers uh, moving forward, and also you know the sharing of resources mm. um, and different philosophies on how we work and how we develop and how we maintain sort of high standards of working practices you know. Uh, you know, just just having a broader perspective um, on all of that just allows you to maintain those high standards. Practically, are we going to see
1: any differences in the either the sports car side or indeed on the single seater side? Will it be core branded? I forgot to ask Sam this. If I'm honest, is it going to be Arden Jota when we see uh, sports cars competing in, for example, the the World Endurance Championship?
4: Yeah, there's going to be some subtle visibility um on both sides um some some branding um in in various different places um yeah and then we we're, we're going to take it from there and sort of see how, how it develops so um it's um yeah there, there'll definitely be something there that is um that, that is evident for people to see
1: we're talking drivers uh, at talent, if you if you will, um, the nut at the end of the steering wheel at the moment. But in terms of development, is is this potentially a precursor to Arden doing something more uh, in sports car, either in full partnership with Jota or uh, doing something? You mentioned how much resources you've got looking at sports cars in a, a more favourable light, in addition to what you're doing in Formula Racing. Well, I think that's.
4: That's sort of um, you know open, open ended really, and um, yeah, I think the, the main um, uh, sort of uh, positive is that um, it does give us the opportunity to have a look at various different things together as, as, as a partnership group, and um, you know, with joint resources and and, um, and working together on things, it, it uh, opens up a lot more possibilities um you know whether we then decide to embark on various different things is another matter but uh, it certainly allows to allows us um collectively um to look at various different things um in a lot more detail are we, so, yeah are
1: we going to see some Arden staff at some sports car races can we can we persuade you to come and have a look julian
4: oh i and have a look at Le Mans. yeah i mean <laughs> it's something something actually uh, that um yeah, not too many of us have have been involved in, and uh, I think uh, again, um, you know, uh, a cross pollination there um, is is really beneficial. I think for some of our staff to, to gain to gain a lot of experience on how uh, teams operate at that level, and and vice versa with Jota gaining experience on how the, the top level single seater teams operate is 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 going to be um, you know really worthwhile. Given
1: the situation in motorsport, it's all—it's never easy. It's always difficult. Always difficult to find uh, people with budgets to be able to justify very expensive, uh, very expensive motorsport programs. Um, do you think you've kicked something off here? Um, diversification, looking at, at different ideas—is this the way of the future? Are we? Uh, can we expect an influx of uh, of of partnership type agreements such as we're hearing about uh, this evening?
4: Well, maybe, you know, um, uh, it's, it'd be interesting to see how it's received, really, um, but we, between ourselves and Jota, we collectively think that it's going to be received very positively and, and sort of with interest. So, um, yeah, possibly, and with any any industry or business, whether it's, you know, sports or not, um, there's diversity and synergy. Um, to continue to develop and grow, and that's what we've tried to look at. Um, you know, that's one of the reasons behind it, and I think it's going to benefit both of us. Uh, I'll
1: leave you and Sam to fight it out with a couple of rounds of rock paper scissors, whether it's Arden Jota or Jota Arden. Then shall I?
4: Yes. Yeah, well, yeah, it's, we're pretty much all tied up on that. But the, the great thing is we can we can do a role reversal in each camp, so uh, it's. it's 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 fairly straightforward from from that side of things. But, uh, yeah, exciting times ahead.
1: Uh, Two of the big names coming together. Julian, thank you very much indeed for joining us. We wish you all the best and uh, hopefully speak to you at a sports car race or two in the future as well. Yeah, no, it's a pleasure. I look forward to it. Thanks very much. Julian Rouse on the telephone to us from Arden. Thank you to him and to... Sam Hignard. So the news is out. DailySportsCar.com already uh, having reported that at uh, eight o'clock tonight. The rest of the world gets it at nine. Before I bring in Graham Goodwin, editor of DailySportsCar.com, a few of your tweets at Specky Um uh, If Weber opened doors to single-seater drivers to LMP2 and sports cars, what will Button and Montoya do? Uh, would love to see... That's, that was from Chris, by the way. Martin Webb says, looking forward to seeing what the Jota Sport Arden partnership brings to all motorsport. Um, surprised there's an, even an issue getting single-seat drivers to LMP racing, uh, says Dave Alcock. Young drivers, much see a better and longer career in LMP1. Uh, Alfred Wallace asking the question, I'm going to put a, Mr Goodwin in a moment, um, about lmp 2 pro fields, maybe a smaller P2 pro field with lmp 2 arm drawn from ELMS and Asian Le Mans, possibly. Something to think about, uh, isn't it? Uh, but generally, I think that everybody is uh, very pro. Stephen Gating youngsters now are less blinkered with F1. Webber's opened their eyes, Hulkenberg hit, <laughs> hit between them. They're very good. Uh, how about the National Series running pro-pro and the WEC running pro-arm with Le Mans running two, says Ware Rabbit. Two different categories. Uh, Alfred Wallace saying, driving in P2 in WEC will increase dri- driver awareness. No uh, uh, no, um, uh, no end. Graham, good news by the, the look of it. Uh, the It's something that hasn't happened before. When you heard what salmon and... Uh, Julian, have said there. You've got to kind of wonder why it hasn't happened before, because it it seems such a natural progression now. Well, Sam hignett has been talking about
3: this kind of potential deal for for some little time, and uh, it's pretty typical of Jota and of Sam himself and the, his partners that they're the first who have really managed to get this one to hang together. And uh, it's I think it's absolutely great news. I think it's an eye opener for. People on both sides of the industry divide, if you like, as to what's possible. The answer, by the way, is certainly going to be Jota Arden in the sports cars, and Arden with Jota uh, in single-seaters. I'm sure of that. But it's another step forward. Uh, you know, we've got a again another transition with LMP racing, John, and you know with uh, new cars coming in 2017, fundamentally different, with a lot more power than they've got currently. Um, a bit of a kind of question mark about exactly where that leaves the LMP1 privateer field albeit with more power and less weight Mm. Uh, but it's going to narrow that gap and yeah I think maybe this is a starting
1: gun to a whole new debate A couple of questions to come to you in a moment, Nick Damon is with us uh, our Formula One correspondent Hello. evening, Nick. Nick, I'm intrigued by Julian saying we have resources that we can put into this. What do they have? Do Arden have a wind tunnel? Are they one of the teams that have a wind tunnel? No,
5: they're not. They know of, no, because they've mostly been uh, in the well, make Formula effectively the GP2 and obviously the support GP3 series in 3000 before that. They obviously have, in their time, managed to uh, work very cleverly with the within the rules and by that I'm not there's no side to my statement here they have worked very cleverly not not anything else and managed to get an edge in those cars I um, think they have a lot of engineering knowledge probably think they have a lot of simulation knowledge so yeah I mean I think I think it's a it's a you know if you're going to look at the, the level below F1 and LMP1 it's a very sensible tie in and I think as uh, young drivers with with money realize that there's many different ways to the top to cover as many bases as possible must be a good idea
1: Graham, um, Dave Alcock says if it directs sponsorship funds and talent into LMP or GT racing, that must be good. And Jared Siegel backs that up with the last argument against LMP is young uh, for young drivers. Pretty much went away with TV deals equalising much needed short term or immediate exposure return on investment much improved in sports car racing nowadays. The question that I put there to both Sam and to Julian about a pro style LMP2 field as they have in the prototype class in IMSA, now albeit that prototype class is at the top of the field, that's got to be looked at now, isn't it? Because if you've got two young chargers, um, the traditional part of young chargers might not want to be with a gentleman driver, although it, I don't think it would do them any harm, but there's the option now, isn't there, If if this if this works, to have fully pro P2 and have that as a different class.
3: Um, There's the option. I don't think it's necessarily a uh, necessity nor indeed a surefire thing. One thing I would say about uh, particularly younger drivers coming out of single-seaters is actually a Pro-Am formula with a gentleman driver is no bad thing coming into sports car racing because it does mean you've got to play the team game. And that is very, very clearly something that's rather different from what very many of these young men, and let's hope young women too, have experienced in their careers thus far, where their biggest rival is the guy on the other side of the garage. So I don't think we're necessarily at the threshold of it. I think there's certainly debate about it. I think the debate about future P2 and future P1 privateer in particular is a very live one. Um, And, of course, moves like this bring that into slightly sharper focus in the in the short term but make no mistake uh some of the masterstroke i think here from uh jota from sam higna and his team and from arden international as well what it's doing at a time when let's face it there are more questions and answers around world motorsports is it's just giving them more options it's giving them more opportunity yeah. to put better people into better cars in more racing. And, you know, as we've seen with people like uh, Mathieu Vazivier, uh, uh, doing back-to-back programs is something that if you have the budget, is perfectly possible. You then get to see whether or not actually this is a relevant, achievable, enjoyable uh, angle to a career that's otherwise might be a kind of step off into the deep end.
1: I, I absolutely agree with you. I think working with a gentleman driver is – Actually, a, a a good learning experience uh, for any any young driver because because they are going to have to learn and they will learn very quickly with a gentleman driver that their results will rely to a very great extent on how well they can coach, cajole, calm down, you know. Make faster or make slower, that gentleman driver, uh, and that is something that they won't have had to put up with before, uh, I, I, and had to and had to deal with. I'll, I'll bring you back in a moment, uh, Graham. We've sure. got a lot of tweets coming in. I expect your um the, the question was slightly sidestepped by Julian, uh, as you might imagine, because they're in single seaters. Although taking the cudgels were taken up a little more by Sam Nick about the bottleneck that 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 it exists after GP2 and GP3. Mm-hmm. There's not the churn in Formula 1. And actually, from a business point of view, and indeed from a career point of view, why would you just keep doing the same thing over and over again, particularly if you've won a championship? Normally, we would lose them from, from European-style racing and they would go off and try and find something else. This is very smart by both by both of these big names in motorsport.
5: Yeah, absolutely. I think yeah, we, we there is... There, are 20, there will be 22 seats in F1 next year, hopefully, if no one goes bust. Um, and that does mean there's, there's two extra drivers are coming in and we, we, we think that Jensen's retiring, so that's three. But the, the number of people who are going to get changed out is probably, <laughs> we'll see three or four new names. And because of the lack of testing and because of the premium on knowing how to drive these cars people would are very loath to take a risk on new drivers the new drivers who come through have come through Toro rosso which you know we've criticized in the past let's praise them now have come through Toro rosso who have a a you know a mission statement to bring new drivers into the into the the sport we took Toro rosso out of it there's not many other people driving new people mclaren bought in uh, Magnuson, and then chucked him back out again a year later. A year later. You know, there is such a premium on expert. He's the only thing that's more important than having experience is having large amounts of South American cash.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, Graham Goodwin and Nick Damon with us here on midweek motorsport with the news then that Arden and Jota are joining forces in sports cars and potentially on other. Projects. I, I, I do think it was interesting, Graham. just finally on this, what uh, Gillian Rouse said about them. You know, we've been watching sports cars for a little while. This gives us an opportunity to learn a little more about it. I, I think we need to keep our eyes peeled for, for Arden employees popping up not just on a jolly, but on fact-finding missions because, you know, Arden are a business like everyone else and if they can find a niche in the market... It, a team like that wouldn't take long to learn any type of racing, would they?
3: Bring it on! I think bring it on! I think uh, it's an open church, isn't it? Let's have them. I mean, you know, the honest. I think the honest answer at the moment, John, is uh, it, it, there seems to be there's a common theme in very many of the kind of paddock conversations I tend to have with team owners and uh, those responsible for manufacturer programs, and it's the the very small number of areas of the sport that are in any way uh, in growth, and sports car racing Correct. is one of them. Um, historic racing is another and Formula Mm. E is a third Um, but there's not much beyond that and I just think these are guys as you quite rightly say John they're businessmen as well as sportsmen and they can see that this makes perfect sense. Looking beyond that for anything in terms of an actual plan rather than a potential notion, I think we would be putting two and two together and making substantially more than four. <laughs> I've already seen some, uh, some uh, comment um, on social media as to whether or not this is a kind of backdoor effort from Red Bull. No, it's not. Red um, Bull and Audi, yes, yeah, absolutely. But no, no, it's not. It's absolutely not. And you'll note that um, for the whole of this year, there's been no talk at all of the uh, the uh, Jota team being a junior Audi team whatsoever, Philippe no. Albuquerque may well have been placed there, but that's that. Uh, but I think you know, what this is is it's another step forward for you know a team that's shown what it can do with with very mature machinery, and it's going to do that, John, in two separate championships with two different cars in 2016: the WEC with their new Arica Nissan, and in the LMS with the well-proven Gibson. And I can't wait.
1: Uh, just a, a point on that. Uh, Gillian and Sam have known each other for some years uh, since they were racing against each other in. Now was it minis? It was certainly something like that. Somebody will look it up uh, and find out. Uh, in terms uh, of what it was, but they they raced against each other. They've known each other for a long time. This is expedient and good business with somebody uh, that is not an unknown quantity in terms of a, a personal relationship. Stuart has the final word on this, Stuart Hart. It's obvious to point to the WEC attracting young drivers, but you can't ignore the increasing professionalism of the ELMS. And you are absolutely right. Absolutely right. Midweek Motorsports. It's just after 20 minutes to nine here. Good to have your company uh, on RadioLeMond.com tonight. Uh, It's Nick in Hindhoff Towers with me. And uh, Graham is in the shed. Supreme Headquarters Endurance Directorate. Uh, It's Johnny Palmer down in London. Uh, making sure that everything goes well there we uh, before we we might as well steer with sports cars as we've got Graham on the line we've got Marshall Pro in the second hour of tonight's program and we will be talking f1 of course with Nick being here a um, couple of things coming up obviously a big weekend we'll go to uh, Marshall about the IMSA side of things and big news on gt3 for next year there already uh, just a a quick thought from you, Graham. The experience at Quarter, great race, uh, plenty of drama, uh, pit lane penalties rather than circuit uh, circuit dimensions that were the issue there and which really uh, set the scene at the front of the field. Um, but if we were writing a report card for Quarter, it's still much try harder, isn't it?
3: Uh, yeah, I mean, look, I, I love the town. Austin is a fabulous it's city, great. It's a great place to visit. The circuits and its environs are stunning. It is a great race circuit, um, but it's the little things. It's always the little things. It's the kind of, well, shall I do in just three? Number one, for the love of all that is holy, please stop exaggerating crowd numbers. Anybody that wants me to believe that 58,000 people came through those yeah. gates over the weekend... Uh, must be in dreamland if they just they did didn't. the
1: same graham quarter did the same for world challenge and that series i was there on that I was, bandwagon I was, I was
3: i was there for that meeting and i remember it well and and had the difference being i've
1: noticed it. this weekend whilst the world challenge jumped on that bandwagon and was happy to re-quote that the world endurance championship has not indeed and, and, I, I, think and I think that shows a different level uh, yeah, the second thing level. is
3: that uh, amongst the the most loyal fan base that we've got, particularly North American racing, and John, you'll know this more than most, are the Corvette Corrals and the Porsche really? Corrals. Uh, they were in what i can describe as being rather a tatty car park, not even within sight of the circuit. That's not good enough. That's simply not good enough. These are people who are valued uh, customers of both the series, the major series that were there, WEC and the Tudor United Sports Car Championship. And and where these guys were going to pick up their credentials, I think you experienced the same, was a very tatty cement car park, which meant that most of these beautifully detailed cars turned up covered in dust. White Um, dust. It's a small thing. It's a small thing, but it's not. It's detail like that that makes a difference between something that's that's very good or truly world-class. And the final thing. Go on, yeah, go on. The final thing, um, because uh, we got this from one of DSC's correspondents who was actually out there and watching trackside in the night practice session, is why on earth did they switch the PA off uh, for the night practice session? Uh, That seemed to be a rather arbitrary decision on the basis of a few people in the stands. Frankly, if there's two people in the stands, leave it switched on. Um, But what it it did, I'm afraid, was to rob the people in the VIP suites and the fans doing what fans do at a night race, which is go around the circuit and see the... um, uh, and see the, uh, the, the the cars in action in the dark uh, didn't have a clue what was going on on track and you know what that's three i don't want to take away from the fact they've got some brilliant staff at Cota. they really have the welcome there is is genuinely fulsome and uh, you know it's great to see people enthusiastic about it but there are elements of the event management and the management in general that to be blunt you know kick up the ass
1: um, I hear from sources close to Formula One management that the whole of the circuit hierarchy and infrastructure will be given a week off when Formula One <laughs> turns up.
5: Uh, <laughs> what? Uh, and that's going to make things better.
1: <laughs> yes. Yeah, because because yeah. Bernie will bring his own people.
5: So what you're saying is that the F1 now is a dry hire.
1: <laughs> yes, pretty much. Um, and I think they will be asked to stay, Some of them um, will be asked to steer. Uh, stay away from that. Uh, Graham, other stuff from the weekend or uh, post to the, the weekend. Um, a couple of Corvette stories, actually, which you might think we really should be talking to Marshall about that. Uh, we'll talk to Marshall about some, uh, some GT3 news, uh, actually, that involves Lamborghini, uh, oddly. So he gets to do the European uh, news, which involves teams going to the States. You get to do the American muscle cars, which has teams in what we would call European-based championships. Let's start off with Labra competition, first of all, because for for some time, Jacques Leconte has been rumbling that he wanted to get into uh, the GTE Pro level of the FIA WEC. If he does that next year, he's going to need a new car, isn't he? Uh, no, no, he doesn't have to have a brand new car. Uh-huh. Um, no, he
3: doesn't have to. This, of course, is a current spec C7R. Um, Jacques has been looking for an opportunity to step up to pro for quite a long time. I can remember a conversation at Petit Le Mans some years ago when he was running a C6 uh, that he was looking to do a two-car effort, one in pro, one in am. That just didn't happen. But uh, there's very, I mean, look, we're all aware that he wants to do it. There was the um, the, the thing that finally put the final piece in the jigsaw, oddly enough, uh, came on the, F, the WCTV broadcast, John, when you were interviewing Gerard Nouveau, and he was quite coy about the number of different uh, you know, marks we might see in GTE next year, in GTE Pro. You asked about Ford, and he implied something more. Well, that fitted beautifully with a lengthy conversation that I'd seen underway in the paddock between Jacques Lacan and Wayne Taylor. And what do I think? I think we're looking at uh, a tie-in, the like of which we saw last year at Cota, uh, albeit that was a factory-run car, but... Uh, perhaps with one or other of the Taylor Boys and a GTE Pro uh, entered Labra Corvette. And that would be a very good thing indeed. Nothing wrong with the pace of that car and a Corvette against the Fords, against the Ferraris, against the Aston Martins and against, and you didn't quite hear it first here, one Pro Porsche uh, is, I think, what we're going to get for ah. the, yeah, I think it's one mm.
2: uh,
3: for the WC GTE Pro grid next year.
1: Okay, so uh, that's very interesting. Uh, That's the first time I knew that, um, well, we thought there was going to be none. Then there might be two. So now back down to uh, one uh, away. Okay, um, that's very interesting. Uh, The other Corvette GT story is GT3. Uh, Indeed. And
3: uh, again, one we've been uh, been sniffing around for a little wee while, but uh, Callaway competition teasing uh, last week the first picture or first part picture of the long-awaited Corvette c 7 rgt GT3 which is going to be unveiled at the season finale of the ADAC GT Masters which I think is Hockenheim on October the 3rd. Made it very clear by the way John that they'd love to come on the show uh, after that and talk mm. about the car and what the plans are for it. Now the Corvette. Uh, GT3 version of the Corvettes have have had a kind of uh, slightly difficult genesis simply because it's not necessarily been welcomed stateside because of the conflicting. Uh, Cadillac programs in Pirelli World Challenge and, of course, yes. the GTE programs um, in, in what was the LMS and now the Tudor United Sports Car Championship. We'll wait and see with that, um, but certainly if it's anything like as good-looking a car as the GTE version is, and my guess is it almost certainly is, then we to have another good-looking GT3 car tied to the mix. Add to that, by the way, that uh, despite the fact, I know we've already talked about the Lexus issues and you'll talk more about it, do not... Um, discounts the possibility of another major factory coming to play Ooh. and announcing something very very soon um but uh, it's one that is not currently out there we have talked about it before on the show but i think we are not a million miles away from seeing uh, another major brand in gt3 racing for the first time
1: right couple of positives from quarter um that uh, had actually nothing to do with the circuit and everything to do with the WEC. The first one, um, I thought, a very moving tribute to Damien Lewis, Damo from Rebellion, which not only was allowed by the WEC management, but was embraced the, embraced by it. Uh, they didn't have to do that, Graham. No, We hear a lot of talk, don't we, about family. Uh, sometimes it's not followed through by the top brass. Uh, but Gerard Navarre Pierre Fionn um, both there and I I will put my hand up straight away and said there was more than the odd tear in my eye oh, when I saw sure. that very, very, um, I thought it was uh, entirely appropriate uh, and uh, a very moving ceremony with just the rebellion guys to start with and then people respectfully walking up and joining, including there mechanics from the other, mach- the other were machines. Two, there, on the grid. there were
3: two moments, weren't there, John? And I was with you and I think both of us had a few tears in our eyes. Um rebellion did a great job of, of doing the right thing by their mate and um, the what we then saw immediately was the whole grid walking towards the rebellion cars to gather for a respectful sullen and so and then when we saw the reverse angle on that um, it was the whole of the top brass from from the WEC and from the ACO that was present and mm. uh, yeah that's that's what it should be you know he may not have been you know a world-renowned driver but he was a world-renowned mechanic mm. and a very valued member not just of that team um but by his mates up and down the paddock and you know we saw in very many of the garages on very many of the helmets and in very many of the cars uh, the vinyls marking his passing in exactly the same ways quite appropriately but doing the same for justin wilson um you know what we're all racers, and we lost a good one
1: yeah we did And uh, it is uh, Damien's uh, funeral this Friday. And it is um, anyone who knew him or feels they want to pay their respects. The details have already, I think, been on uh, DailySportsCard.com. Yep,
3: you can check out if you just put "demo" into the search engine, it'll pull up. It will also pull up, by the way, uh, that there is a support fund for Damien's young family as well.
1: Entirely appropriate as well. Uh, The other... Good thing that came out, and it seems odd talking about somebody's death as a good thing, but the aftermath and the celebration of Damien's life and the recognition of his uh, of his uh, commitment to. Uh, the series was a good thing. But the other thing that came out, which Kota wanted... I mean, I didn't expect this, if I'm honest, was the addition of the ninth round of the FIA World Endurance Championship for 2016. That being effectively a North American doubleheader, Latin America, although it is, with Mexico being a couple of weeks before Quarter next year. I'd expected that Mexico had a chance, but I thought it would be instead of and not as well as, if I'm honest. Well something's happened and it's happened in a very
3: short period of time indeed because I think both you and I know John that that was unlikely to have happened three weeks ago when we were at the Nürburgring Mm. Uh, so something's happened
1: well in fact in in fact the, the announcement was it not was was put off from Thursday all the way through to Saturday and I just wonder how late that deal came together
3: uh, I, I wonder two things. One is how late it came together. And the answer is clearly very, very late indeed. We got, uh, what, no more than a couple of hours notice of the fact that we're going to get a press release for that. And Gerard obviously came in and I chat with you on air. The other thing is, I do wonder whether or not the announcements uh, did have something to do with the shortcomings of certain aspects, of the way in which the COTA meeting uh, was operated. Crowd figure was very low. Uh, there was the misfortune, of course, of the clash with the uh, college football game. One hundred and fifteen thousand people went to that game, and um, the uh, very large team, indeed, and I mean that both in, in figurative and in bodily terms, because uh, they were staying in our hotel, and you couldn't get the lift. Uh, but you know, it was a big thing. It is, you know, it is church, family and college football in very many of the southern states. Not necessarily states. in that in order. Not necessarily in that order. And um, I think that was unfortunate, but it's the small things. If, mm. you know, it's got to be right. This is now a growing world championship. Uh, people are beginning to see the potential for this. And there, I think there is a bit of a message here for Kota, which is mm. you're either on the bus or get off.
1: A couple of things here. Um, right turn lover says maybe it's time to move the WEC North to Indianapolis with GP gone there's hungry fans that would be certainly the easiest thing to do in terms of the category of the circuit um, the other thing that Gerard Navarre was very keen in stressing is that the ninth round in terms at least of getting cars there will not cost the teams anything at all he reckons they'll save money because they will have a a travel fund, and the the whole of the travel will be paid, uh, and that will get the cars effectively to North America, where they can transit on to uh, to quarter for the next round in a, a couple of weeks' time. So yes, of course, there's more. Uh, the, yes, of course, there's there's more running uh, yep. to be done. You know, another six hours of running, but clearly still uppermost in everybody's minds. Whether it's for the private teams at the back of the grid or the multi-million euro efforts at the front, cost is still in everybody's mind.
3: It's very much in everybody's mind. And, you know, Gerard correctly was, was, you know, sprinkling sugar liberally on the pill. Uh, But it's certainly very much on the minds of all the teams and not least, of course, the privateer teams. The one thing, of course, that isn't uh, covered is is the money you have to pay these people to do their jobs while they're out there for another two, three, four days. And if they choose to stay out there and travel with the cars, rather longer than that. But, you know, it's not to take away from it. You know, at the end of the day, if the decision has been taken that we're going to Mexico, it is still to be confirmed, remember. Uh, Mm. But if the decision has been made that we're actually going there, then, you know, I for one will embrace it. I think it's great to go to new markets. Uh, I'll be very interested to see it. There, there is a kind of a slightly selfish air here, John, which is I firmly, fundamentally believe that it is correct to do what we've been doing for the last two or three years, which is to build on a stable calendar, build the audience. We've seen with Deere very integrity. many of the races. Yeah, absolutely. And we've seen those crowds growing. Would you have ever believed we'd have seen the scenes we saw at Shanghai last year? Uh, yeah, two years prior. The, 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 the reality is, if you put the promotion in, if you put the support in, people will come. If they think there's an opportunity in those markets, and uh, that's where a substantial proportion of the grid and the manufacturers involved and the backers want to go, then absolutely we should go there. But they, they, they are f- fundamentally aware of the impact that, that potentially has on the budgets of the privateer teams, in particular. Uh, they're the ones that really do need to dig deep and find the budget to do that running time, to pay those weekend warriors and to pay their guys Hmm. uh, that that travel money. And that is a critical part of it. Let's wait and see. Uh, I am becoming a bit worried, though, about some of the kind of the crowding of the calendar, because I think I'm right that now the majority of the ELMS races are now back-to-back with WEC races. So you've got an ELMS race the week before or the week after the WEC races. That's going to make it very crowded indeed, not just for the likes of you and I, and why should they care? But for people like the tire companies, the engine companies, let's not forget well, uh, that when we get to seventeen, those Gibson guys are going to be getting an awful lot of air miles.
1: Yeah, I mean you say that, but it is the whole. It's the family. It's the travelling circus. Not, not in the circuit de Soleil type of way, taking up uh, two thirds of park the car. Then, park. Can you? <laughs> um, the the. Uh, but you know, you you are fighting for column inches. You're fighting for the specialist and and let's be honest endurance racing Graham is a specialist part of a specialist sport and there are only so many people who want to cover it. It's not as if many of the magazines have two three or four <coughs> excuse me endurance sports car reporters it's it's one normally and therefore they get sent to it. We are fortunate in that we ha- have assembled a very robust, team of people <laughs> that can be sent off at a moment's notice a bit like international rescue for da da da, endurance da dun, racing dun, stop da dun, da dun, it dun, stop it da damon da da, da 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 i'll, I'll fade you down don't okay. fade me down okay um and i've not been
5: called robust before that's all <laughs>
1: but you can uh, what can you be what was what was blue now because you've got your little blue tr4 so uh, you right. could be thunderbird four uh,
5: that
1: little, was yellow though wasn't it
5: yellow three anyway
1: blue was thunderbird one of course oh the rocket yeah, yeah, quite. No, not yeah. quite. Um, but, I am a good looking one, though. But, you know, seriously, Graham, the, the issue is going to be um, there are some clashes uh, with WEC and IMSA. There are some clashes with other endurance events, notably, of course, Le Mans 24 hour test weekend. Um, uh, you know, that shouldn't really happen. Uh, you've got SRO. British GTs uh, you've got the in- international endurance series the Cravontic series as well all to fit in it's clearly never going to be a perfect world but somewhere you've got to take note of where people are trying to earn a living now whether that's drivers mechanics tire engineers or journalists somebody somewhere has got to take got to take account of that uh, yeah i think they do i think that, you know that,
3: again what we're getting to at the moment is we've got uh, the WEC family, including the LMS, in a kind of growth spurt at the moment, both in terms of the, the teams, and the people who interested in it. And, you know, we've now got an additional round for the LMS and an additional round for the WEC. Um, on top of that, you've got SRO with their eyes on the Intercontinental Prize and announcing their Intercontinental Series and also keeping an eye on what's going on in Asia-Pacific. So, you know, again... It is really a matter of seeing what they can, uh, what they can actually all get from the, the same uh, general marketplace, albeit an expanding one. As I said a little earlier, we've just got to be very careful that we all really toe that. That it was a knife edge, you know. We need to be on that knife edge rather than, uh, you know, running too hard down that road and finding all of a sudden we've got uh, blisses on our feet, mate.
1: Yeah. Uh, don't disagree with uh, with anything you've said there. Um, just updating a story that we've run in the last couple of weeks, the balance of performance test in France at Ledoux mm-hmm. for GTE and GT3. More news coming out of that. And um, if not a clarification, certainly uh, a, a manufacturer and a builder of cars very keen to put their point of view. Uh,
3: very much so. I mean, uh, I have to say, more or less everybody I spoke to at... Uh, Kota, Um, and that means, by the way, not just from manufacturers, but also on the official side, uh, was telling some form of story about a car or two in trouble, one car not getting there. And I think you'll talk to Marshall about the Lexus in just a little wee while. Um, But the Ferrari, and the really rather odd thing here is having checked and double checked as best I possibly could, with no official line available we ran with that story that uh, that there was a car that actually hadn't made the performance uh, targets, uh, but that was robustly denied by Cristiano Michelotto. And thank you, if you're listening, Cristiano, for getting in touch on that one, who tells us that the GT3 car, um, because it was the GT3 car that was being implied as a problem, had run without problem for the full two days and was within the performance envelope. That's very good news for what I think in numerical terms is actually even more significant than even the Audi. Uh, I suspect there's been more uh, Ferrari 458 GT3s built than even the Audi R8 LMS. Um, but it's an interesting prospect, isn't it? Um, it is it is the kind of the smoke and mirrors. I've actually suggested to the FIA, by the way, um, at uh, Cota, that at some point that you and I um, do a long one with the FIA on balance of performance uh, because it is one of those phrases that is bandied about without... To be honest with you, most people, myself included, having a full understanding of exactly what's done, why it's done in that way, and you know, where the kind of the, the, the parameters are for it. So But I'd like um, to
1: know what, what happens with the data and how it's processed, because I'm that sort yeah. of person. That's how I think. I and also them that. Yeah. more more <laughs> pertinent to what we're talking about now is what, if anything, is the procedure if a car whatever the car is, let's make a car up, if the uh, Goodwin, Heindorf, uh Damon Special, the, GT, the new GTE car that we're all building together. Um, because we're a boutique manufacturer, we only have to build 20 uh, road cars, not the 100 of a major manufacturer like F- uh, Ford. So once we've built our 20 cars, it, it will initially look something like... Uh, uh, 1964 Triumph TR4, um, uh, TR5, excuse me, sorry,
5: 1965 TR4A.
1: All right, TR4. Yeah. It will initially look like that, but in GTE form. <laughs> now, given that that's missed the LeDoux test, now what what do we do to get that car homologated for 2016, or have we missed the competitive boat? I think the answer at the moment is you have missed the competitive boat. But
3: I asked the question, and asked a slightly loaded question, which was would there be an opportunity for that manufacturer to get retested at their expense? And I think the answer is possibly. And I think it might very much depend on whether or not that was a new player coming in uh, within the spirit of the rules or an established player who simply had problems. Uh, But I suspect the answer in the latter case would be, there would be a very likely very expensive way of doing that. Whereas, you know, someone coming in and looking to take some market advantage, uh, might be slightly less lucky. But it is a very involved process. And, you know, as everybody that follows sports car and GT racing knows now, like it or not, it's a vital part of the process yes. to the shape of GT racing, GTE and GT3 racing that we know nowadays. Without that, we'd likely not have the variety of cars we've got. Without that, we certainly wouldn't have the stability of the grids that we've got. Agreed. And, you know, and yes, you know, the, 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 the cluttered, picture of waivers balance of performance you know oh, sporting yeah, regulations yeah. and technical regulations um, you know it does make it quite complex to actually explain to people the nuances and the differences uh, but uh, let's see what we can do in the next few weeks John to work with them to unpick that for the listener
1: a uh, quick uh, couple of lines on a couple of things um, staying on the um, international style series Asian Le Mans entry is out
3: yes it is 13 cars which are more or less what we expected uh, from Asian Le Mans 4. what I think has been a difficult first race for them, a four-race series, two in 15, two in 16, across the winter. Uh, two LMP2 cars, uh, three LMP3 cars. Uh, the rest of the remainder, with bar, bar one, uh, are GT3 cars, uh, with one Porsche GT3 Cup for none other than Paul Ip, the owner of KCMG. But some good names on there, three or four factory drivers in the GT uh, stakes, uh, the entry will grow. Uh, I believe mm-hmm. we might see two or three more cars by the time we get to round two at Sepang, and by the time we get into the two races in 2016, believe we might be hitting around 20 cars. With around, uh, certainly, a, I, I believe at least four LMP2 cars by that stage. Uh, it's you know it's difficult because you've got the WC race. Uh, it's it's up against the uh, the Petit Le Mans the week before. And Estoril will the week after, so it's got a perfect storm. Let's hope we don't have one of those at Fuji uh, for the thirteen cars. Yes, there are, however, some very good-looking entries there. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's some real interest. It should should mark the competitive debut certainly in ACO rules racing for both the newer Des and the new Ligier AP3 cars. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's as uh, as you will uh, you will find out by the time we get to the. Uh, show next week john might be absolutely vital uh, for the future of the class
1: yeah and we'll keep an eye on breaking news coming this evening in case we can get you back before the end of the show a couple of quick lines you mentioned uh, the sro intercontinental series rather mischievously announcing over the weekend whilst everyone else was there that there was going to be an endurance race amongst that that would be held at quarter uh, yeah
3: this is the the hook I'm in there, they've welcome got... to
1: it. <laughs>
3: <laughs> this is the hook in they've actually got with the uh the Pirelli World Challenge and you know that's uh, a reborn entity uh, Greg Gill the interim uh CEO, I think, of pretty well challenged. And you had, had a good
1: chat with him, and a I long think chat with we, Greg. We'll, we'll update with... that next week. I think. I'm Greg, sure because... we'd
3: love to. I'm sure we'd love to come and talk to us actually on the show, uh, because they've got plans. They're aware of the challenges that the 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 challenge had this season. Um, they're making out. there making friends. Ball means ask um, uh, ask Marshall about this one because I know he's had a download of the mm. conversation that uh, the okay. Greg had with. Uh, Scott Atherton, which was very interesting. Oh, okay. uh, but uh, but Greg is an Austin resident and took the trouble to come along and was perfectly correct. He certainly wasn't out there leafleting. Uh, he was out there, basically, I think, explaining where things actually stand. Because, of course, from next season, people will have the choice of doing both or either of the WeatherTech Sports Car Championship, which I, from now on, by the way, I'm going to start calling the IMSA Championship um, because it's just too many initials. There you go. Um <laughs> But uh, and or the Pirelli World Challenge. So mm-hmm. I think we've got some really good stuff kind of coming along. Before we leave SRO Land, by the way, congratulations to the Nissan boys yes, uh, winning absolutely. that championship. That was a fantastic result for them uh, and Bob Neville's team. Uh, another tick in the box for the uh, Nissan GT Academy and for the the, uh, the well, what can we say? The outrageous uh, Nissan GTR um, and. Again, I gather, a very good race in Nürburgring while we were there in the sweltering heat of, uh, of Austin John.
1: Very quickly, British GT, one line under that. Big news for uh, them and some changes, I think, afoot.
3: Huge news for them. Uh, after 10 years with Avon, and it doesn't feel like 10 years, it does it, um, it's, uh, it's, it's taking over for Dunlop. Uh, Pirelli will be um, uh, the, the, the uh, boots of choice for the British GT grid from next year. Um, and uh, that means that they can make an awful lot more sense of the regular balanced performance, because, of course, balance of performance uh, for SRO with the FIA, I think, is done on Pirellis. Um, they, uh, they then have to adapt that with the Avons, which, of course, don't perform in exactly in the, same the same way, same way yeah. and, of course, don't necessarily suit all the cars in exactly the same way the Pirellis do.
1: Uh, Graham, brilliant stuff, thanks for being with us uh, we're gonna, we've are going we got that breaking story to keep an eye on it may break tonight but more likely uh, next week uh, Graham Goodwin, editor of DailySportsCar.com uh, with us tonight, thanks Graham. Uh, you're listening to Midweek
0: Motorsports
1: it's, uh, well, it's that time again
0: Midweek Motorsport Half time and while we swap ends here's what's coming up
1: second half of the show tonight, will be more sports cars but this with American flavour, oh hang on didn't we do that already? No, because Marshall Fruitt of wristcom will be joining us to update us on the rest of the stories in what's been an insanely busy week for sports cars Nick Damon has now been fed, watered and is ready to be a loose man in a sports car, but before that he's going to talk Formula 1 and men on tracks really? I must have missed that uh, and we've also got more of your Twitter conversations as well at Spec or at Radio Lamont. Le uh, let's keep those talking points going. Lots of stuff going on tonight that you want to have a word on, and we'll update uh, everyone on your thoughts as well as the news coming in. Midweek
0: Motorsport on Radiolamon.com
1: so uh, let's uh, kick off the uh, second half uh, of the program with uh, Nick Damon who is alongside Hello. me fed watered and caked
5: fed, well mostly caked really Yes. the i mean the duck was fantastic but yeah i am a cake man at heart
1: yes <laughs> the duck was fantastic actually the yeah. uh, eve will be posting the menu if she hasn't already um big news tonight on a number of uh, a number of fronts but yep. uh, let's I brought you in on the Arden thing, obviously, because of mm-hmm. the single-seater thing. Yep. Um, Singapore at the weekend. Yes. Still looks fantastic. Don't get me wrong. I got up. I set the alarm. What was HD was built for. I, I set the alarm at uh, a minute and a half before seven. So I literally woke up as they were on the warming up lap. Watched mm-hmm. it on NBCSN. Now, the first thing I'm going to say, and this is absolutely no criticism of Lee Diffie, who I know very well, David Hobbs, who I know pretty well, and Steve Matchett, who I don't know that well, but I respect. Not down to their work at all. I found it unwatchable and impossible to follow the race because of the interminable ad breaks. My uh, sympathies to anyone who has to watch Formula One or indeed any other sport in the US where they can't have 90 minutes, or in this case two hours, without uh, an ad break. It was just Incredibly difficult to try and keep up with the flow of the race, even though they went side by side with commercials. That actually didn't help. It, <laughs> I found myself just squinting at the television trying to see what was going on, and I, I stupidly didn't have a computer powered up to watch the timing. However, it was the usual Singapore fair. We had a safety car, Two. and uh, yes, we always have at least one, is the point I was making. In terms of the Championship, things spiced up a little bit, and we'll come to Lewis Hamilton at the sharp end of the field at the moment. But even with the pass flaps, (laughs) a deep. De, uh, deployed, there didn't seem to be a lot of overtaking. And even with team orders to, to say you have to do some overtaking, yeah. it didn't happen. Let's start with Toro Rosso and Max Verstappen.
5: Um,
1: he's not for
5: turning. He's the Maggie Thatcher <laughs> of, uh, <laughs> of uh, Did you see his quote? What did he say? To, uh, that he's down his down dad would have hit him if he had let him through. So. Yes. And I a... suppose Yoss has got previous <laughs> on that front. And no. that's not allegedly. That's proven in court of law. Um, yeah. <laughs> what could he say? I mean, it was, it was a bit petulant and then you get everyone going, oh, that's fantastic. What a driver should do. And it's great for him now. Yeah. But what happens when he wants the favor return? Um, eighth and ninth, ninth and eighth. It was normal thing. And they, they thought that that, the science on a new attire strategy, be able to get through. Um, but he didn't. So, yeah, I mean, I think the actual race itself, uh, was, as you say, um, not the worst of the season, uh, but not the best. um, you know, we had the int- a couple of uh, uh, quite a lot of wheel to wheel, but that was tended to be for 11th and 13th or something like that. And we obviously did have um, a man wandering down the track. Uh, the third man wandered down the track in recent memory after the disgruntled uh, Mercedes employee at Hockenheim in 2000 and the weird um, Irish priest at Silverstone. I think in 2000, I think that was 2003. Um, so yeah, yeah. They just didn't, he just, I have no idea what he decided to do. He just, We walked down
1: the track for one section and walked back in again. Um, he was taking a video, apparently. I know. Just completely... Now, the interesting thing about that is, I knew nothing of that until yesterday. Really? Even though I watched the American coverage, because in their recap, they didn't mention it. That's on the, what bit what I was I was the second at. safety car. I didn't mention that. Um, in fairness, I may have dozed off. <laughs> um, it had been a particularly late night the night before and we had had a road traffic accident um, when we were drove into it at unabated speed by a drunken un- unlicensed driver oh dear. Um, so that kept us out rather later than we'd expected to be but at this point I should thank Austin PD and uh, some of the fire brigade who came to our assistance, not that we needed fire brigade assistance, but who were absolutely brilliant. And after all the bad things that have been said about uh, police on both sides of the Atlantic recently, I'm just going to stick my head above the parapet and say next time you're in trouble and you need help, um, who else are you going to call? Uh, three police units dispatched to us arrived within five minutes of the call, which certainly wouldn't have happened here in the UK, and we were made to feel uh, very safe, very secure, and they took care of our uh, problem um, very professionally, and courteously indeed. was
5: in Singapore, get the boy off the track. But yeah, yeah, well, yes. uh,
1: yeah,
5: I think, yeah, coming out of, of the race, obviously it was a, a third victory of the season for Sebastian Vettel and it was very much a, a weekend where he was um, doing what he does brilliantly best, which is having a car that for once, for once in the last two years was the best and absolutely maximising it. Um The key conversation points that come out, obviously, are why have Mercedes slumped? Is this the end of Mercedes? No. No, the
1: answer is no. No.
5: The ongoing rumblings about what's happening uh, moving into next year with with engines and Renault and that sort of thing. I think, first of all, I think um, whilst the scale in time of Mercedes' um, drop back was uh, remarkable... The fact is that probably if Lewis hadn't broken down, he broke down for a tenpenny piece, which is interesting because last, the piece, which interesting because last year in Singapore, uh, Nico Rosberg broke down for a, for, the, for the want of a tenpenny grommet. Or actually, a, a, the wrong type of grease, wasn't it, on his steering wheel? It wasn't electric. So, you know, apparently, whoever's preparing the cars for Singapore and Mercedes needs to get the sack. Um, possibly the same person who's doing the emissions testing in, in uh, Volkswagen, but never mind. Um, what you have to say... Is that I, I, I realise we have a, a season which is dominated by one car and one one driver in that car. Uh, I realise this has given a big swing round uh, in the championship and it's it's livened up all the uh, the the people who've had nothing to write about really on, on websites for the past uh, three or four months ever it became obvious that, that uh, Lewis was going to comprehensively beat uh, Nico. Um, but the fact is, I mean, I, I don't think that anybody expects that if it's not if it's a dry race next week, or sorry, this weekend in Suzuka, we're gonna, it's just going to be business as usual. It's a handling and power circuit at high speed, and the Mercedes has the best car. The fact that they were asked to run two PSI more in their front tyres and one PSI more in their rear tyres than they, run, they were usually running, is not the reason for, the three, for a one and a half second drop. They just didn't get the track right, and they didn't get it right. And in the race, interestingly... On the medium tyre, mm-hmm. they were of a pace of everyone else. Of course they were. On the super soft tyre, sorry, on the soft tyre, on the super soft tyre, they were having problems.
1: Is this a case, and this is something that a couple of people in the WEC paddock, who I won't name, um, has have told me, is are we getting to a case now where so much time is spent on the optimisation of the power units, the engine the hybrid system, how they interact together with the gearbox, the brakes, etc. And potentially the aero as well in Formula One. The rather more old-fashioned, traditional, and yet fundamentally important things like bump, rebound, ride height, etc. are being forgotten. Um, The point about it is, if
5: you get lost, you have a very, very limited time to sort it out. You've got a running time of what three hours on uh, Friday and an hour on Saturday. But realistically, you can only make two big changes. Yeah. Now, you can start with your base setup and, t- and fiddle with it. Decide you've got it wrong. Make a big change for the second set- setup. The second one and um, a half hour session. One and a half hours. But don't forget in the first one and a half hour session. Mercedes were fine. They were the fastest two cars. Yes. Then the sun went out and it got it got dark and the all the ambient changed, the, the air pressure. Yes. Changed. Not
1: much. I, I don't. I, if I'm honest, I don't really understand that why. When the race is run at the time it is, why they don't because just run? Because
5: they, the, they keep the the timings relative the same, so it's four hours earlier. happened those four hours earlier for the first
1: practice All right, okay. in the light. I see, I see.
5: Um, But it's pretty obvious that Mercedes made a complete fundamental mistake. Um, possibly, it was a track which everyone said anyway was going to be a better track for everyone else because it's, it minimises the power you'd you have know, Yeah, Whatever you say about how well or badly. Mercedes did. it's pretty obvious that Red Bull were on the tail of Ferrari, and they haven't been able to do that recently. So the power units were equalised, effectively. There was, was hardly mm. anything in, it. in Italy, Honda was still rubbish. Um, but they, you know, then you have this, all well, about handling, it's set up? And they got it wrong, and I, and I you know, they, they'll just roll the car out as it left, um, probably Spa rather than uh, Monza, because it was a bit, that's very low downforce, stick it into, in, into Suzuka, and they'll be back and, back and away. And yes, it makes everyone excited to talk about resurgence, the thing you have to say is that Ferrari have done exactly what Red Bull did last year, which capitalised mm-hmm. on Mercedes' cock-ups. Every time Mercedes has made a mistake, Ferrari, and interestingly, it's, it's been Fettel, uh, have been there to to pick it up, and, and and good luck to them. But it, you know, the fact is, probably there's a very good chance that Lewis would have made, made it through in the third place.
1: Interestingly, a number of people, including the fabulously named Cole Trickle, well done, <laughs> <laughs> says it wasn't just the American coverage that didn't mention the chap on the track. Uh, BBC didn't cover it in their recaps or on oh, the news no, either. I, I
5: watched the Sky Live comment.
1: Perhaps a Bernie intervention there. Possibly. Yeah. Um, okay. but it, it
5: may be the same thing where they don't show streakers. It's, they don't want to give publicity to people. Yeah, well, no, people.
1: no. I, and in some ways, I don't agree with that. I, I, sorry, I do. I absolutely... Uh, agree with that it was uh, uh, it was just that I literally didn't know mm. um, uh, so coming out of that so so mm. uh, Lewis fairly sanguine about it at the end what else can you do if
5: you're going to have a bad race if you're going to break down in a race break down a race you're going
1: to fish third and fourth not a race you're going to win yeah
5: that's true it's a, you know, in fairness it's the best race you can break down in Vettel back
1: to his imperious best, and I thought never, brilliant.
5: He's been great. He's never been. There's never been an issue with Vettel when he started on position one.
1: Uh, that's a good point. Uh, his Italians getting very much better. I find as that well.
5: annoying. Do you? I
1: mean, I don't. I don't well, like. Well, he could, he could like, be sanctioned I for because like, you're not allowed I to do that. I don't like
5: his post-race celebrations anyway because but then they're all a bit awful. In fairness, but why he has to go out in Italian when actually everyone knows you're supposed to say it in English? You know, it's it's it, to me. And it's not because I'm English. I don't think it's affected. I think it's like a kind of affectation rather than... i tell you, you what's
1: not affected, though. The joy of the Ferrari team with the upswing in their turn since a Ari- river They got has... in trouble.
5: They got in trouble. The, the Ferrari mechanics got in trouble for pushing past the stewards. And and just
1: they were so excited. Yeah,
5: and, and obviously Singapore was quite an ordered place.
1: Yes, yes. And no um, apparently good.
5: Maurizio Arrivabeni had to write had to write an a, a, poly, a, poly, a very apologetic letter apologising for his team being too happy and barging past the stewards under the podium.
1: No, I I, <laughs> I, I, I love the, the actual bits where Vettel is out the car and going round everybody. Look at the joy on those Ferrari mechanics and team members' faces. I think it's lovely to watch. I think it's it's something. That All teams get excited when they win, but Ferrari have raced the bar in (laughs) in post-race celebrations. I I, I spoke recently to someone about um, um, Arevabiani. Happy Um, arrivals. Yes, Uh, and uh, he is apparently a very good boss, uh, but not somebody that you want to get on the wrong side of, of. But he he rules with an iron fist and what he says goes. Um, But everybody loves him because they know where they stand with him. There's no wishy-washyness. And and
5: they're on an upswing. Mm, True. Let's be honest about this. It's it's always easy to when you're on the way up and at some point you reach the top and then you're on the way down again.
1: It it was described to me as um, the the big boss previously, um, Montezemolo, Luca de Montezemolo. Um, was...
5: Well, no, it's the no, Sorry, sorry it going the, back the, a then bit. Then
1: f- I've completely
5: forgotten the guy who came... I should have it. came about three months in between the two of them.
1: Well, when uh, De Montezemolo was the boss, he was your friend first, and then the boss afterwards, which made difficult situations even more difficult. There's not that problem with Biene, um because he says what he means and means absolutely uh, what he says. Uh, the other thing to come out of it was a very very dischuffed um but funny um, and still thousand watts smiling at various points in his post race interview Jensen Button yes Jensen we want you to go faster but not use any fuel uh, warm the brakes up but cool the rest of the car down and uh, well anything else mm. uh, love get get the shopping do, would you like me to rub my tummy and pat my head at the same time Yeah, is the best uh, is the best race uh, in race radio he, this year. Yeah, I
5: mean, it's pretty obvious that... Um, he's done, isn't
1: he? He's going to retire uh, from he's gonna Formula en- One. He's going to announce it at Fuji, in,
5: isn't he? In uh, Stuka.
1: That's uh, the And
5: sorry. Uh, yeah, I mean, I I I think it's fair. He's a very good run. He, you know, does he want to do another year in McLaren? Is it even, Are they even going to offer it? They're faffing about. He probably thinks, no, look, I've done enough of this. I've, I've proved my. Do I you think last
1: year's machinations about he's in, he's out, he's in, he's out, yeah. he might be in? Do you think that's put him off as much as anything else? I think the fact
5: that that when he actually
1: had waited so
5: long to get in the car, it turned out to be a complete dog it didn't help.
1: Um, now. Um, Whether Alonso he... is on the same deal one year with an option to renew is Alonso going as well? where? out of Formula 1 what else you got to prove does he want one more championship?
5: I think he must do I mean you know it's it's a uh, he's not won one since 2006 we all hang around saying how great he is but he's not actually turned still the best driver on the dr- grid mm, he's I think that I don't know if I agree anymore who do you is better than him? I think Lewis is better than him
1: now ooh
5: Controversial, Not really. If you look what Lewis has done this year, he's just moved on a level from being very good to very, very good. Fettel uh, is trying to make up for last year and just about
1: doing that now. In an exceptional car, though, in terms of what else is out there, relatively speaking. Yeah, I think Fettel's done a better what, job with the machinery that he's had this year not than Lewis really,
5: has. really, because there's been zero pressure. They've both had one bad race. Um, hmm. uh, Hamilton had a bad race in Hungary, and Fettel had a bad race in Bahrain. It's very easy to go... To a speed where you're not, when you have zero pressure, he has there's no pressure on Fettel at all. I Everything think... he's doing as a bonus. I'm not. This is not part of my my general. I don't think Fettel's that good. No, 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 This, no. this would be the same for everybody. Um, but certainly I don't. I don't think you know. You know, I'm sure there'll be some people who want to well, go out of left field, but I don't think anybody can say um, uh, any sort of uh way that Lewis has not been you know, excellent this year. You know, in that race where the car was rubbish, he was hanging on to the top three, and he was pulling away from his teammate easily. You know then the car broke down so you know the, but um and of course then of course it, now you' let me ask you a question John
1: mm-hmm.
5: uh, you're Ferrari yes you're on upswing yes yep you' you have in sight the the eyes of uh, Mercedes who are very very good at, at building engines you're getting really close to that would you give your prime number one super engine mm. to your biggest other rival no I'll
1: give them last year's
5: Mm. what if they said if we get last years we're going to go home and take our ball away and not going to play anymore that's just one less
1: competitor I've got to worry about what if Bernie said can you do it please what am I getting out of it Bernie
5: Bernie well how about your historic status where you get more money than everyone else
1: I'll think about it (laughs) but it's still going to be last year's engine Marco Mattiacci Johnny reminds me
5: oh you're a star Johnny thank you very much
1: erm The
5: uh, That is an issue, isn't it? Well, there is, because at the moment, it, 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 it is now no longer a rumour. It is a fact that Toro Rosso and uh, Red Bull no longer have an engine for next year because Renault aren't supplying them. Um, the only grey area is, is whether Renault... And Renault apparently have 95% bought Lotus. The only question is whether they're going to actually put their engine in Lotus. I think they won't because of the way we've walked through... Uh,
1: they want a new engine. advantage
5: of moving in two years. But yeah, the fact is engine. that... Theoretically, they would look for Ferrari to supply you know, new engines to both teams. I suppose perhaps they could they could possibly have a year-old
1: one. Can I just Rossi. ask, what is there set in stone in either the engine supply agreement, the Concord agreement or whatever, whatever engine suppliers have to sign up to, about how much of the grid they have to supply? Perfect. Because let's say there are only two engine suppliers. Mm-hmm. Let's say it's Mercedes uh, and Ferrari and there's nobody else. Well, it's an interesting question because, of course,
5: McLaren are the only Honda users, and yes. they had a one-year exclusivity, but they have um, well, they've
1: vetoed uh,
5: yes, uh, either it going to Manor Correct. or even rumours now to Rosso There's now been McLaren, rumination.
1: McLaren have vetoed yes, that. Yes, there is
5: now ruminations that actually they're not supposed to do that because uh, the reason they got the the Honda got their various you know um, brakes and everything else is because they need to. Um, you know, actually should supply more than one team, but I don't think there's anything written in stone. It was kind of a point where it actually made more sense for the company to supply several teams because it amortises the cost. You know, the development of, the development for Mercedes is exactly the same for one team. It is for four teams, the development costs, you know, and they make the engines to those standards and those specs, and it's just, they, they, they cost what they cost, but they, you know, that is the advantage of running more, more than uh, one or two teams. But, you know, whether Ferrari want to supply um, themselves, Sauber, uh, and both the Red F- five, 5 teams is unlikely. You kind of think that Manor will fall out the bottom and go somewhere else, and possibly there be Mercedes um, if they can get one, or, or Honda, if Honda have changed their mind. But it's it's difficult. I mean, I, I think Red Bull are getting really more and more stropping. Of course, Red Bull then threw in the great idea that they would get bought out by Audi, and that sounded really, really good for three days. And then there's some slight issues I've heard with the Volkswagen <laughs> group, which kind of seem more important than buying into F1. And the person
1: who was really keen on buying into F1... Martin Wintercourt ...doesn't have a job anymore. Despite being the grandson of Ferdinand Porsche, has been ousted from the board. So there's the first piece of motorsport fallout from the uh, diesel, uh, diesel testing scandal. Um, this would be a non-story for us. Uh, and indeed, it would be a non-story for everybody else. Uh, did it not... Have, had it not wiped something like uh, 30 million dollars off the... Billion? Billion? 30 billion dollars, thank you. Uh, uh, straight off the the, the stock yeah. value of VAG, Volkswagen Audi Group. And they have set aside nearly 5 billion which to pay fans, which I don't think is going to be anywhere enough, uh, near enough, if the class actions that we expect will come forward uh, from... The United well, States. Well, they
5: have previously. The, the Americans um, are absolutely in the right here. Let's get it wrong. Firstly, Mercedes... Uh, sorry, I apologise. Volkswagen cheated. But if you remember the cash-tastic bandwagon they jumped on after the BP disaster, yeah. and that was an accident, not deliberate. Mm. So if you, and BP ended up paying, I think, three times more than they ever thought they would do by the time every shrimp fisherman's ever fished a shrimp in Mississippi claimed a complete loss of livelihood from them.
1: In fairness, though, they had... Uh... They were making more than that every 20 minutes, so it didn't really make a dent in their profits. This is a huge number. Uh, Martin Winterkorn was uh, due to have his tenure as CEO um, uh, reviewed. Extended. Yeah, reviewed on Friday. And
5: extended um, It hasn't happened. Yeah.
1: He is the man who was most interested on the Volkswagen Audi Group board in Formula One. Um, he is a motorsport fan, despite that. Um, he is a motorsport fan. Um, I think that's gone away now. And even Eddie Jordan, who's the most bullish um, ab- about this and has told everybody um, who wanted to listen that it's definitely happening and that pretty much the papers had already been signed. He's backpedalling um,
5: it's it's, faster than it's a 2 to cyclist going down that, the Coulteria. There's no chance it'll in the short term um, because the only thing the board of, of Volkswagen, uh, Audi, Vag group need to do is sort this mess out, which will take minimum two years. Yeah, I agree.
1: Minimum two years will now. Will it affect the motorsport?
5: I think that things that have already been signed off will be left alone.
1: Does it affect their because of the um, not the first time that Volkswagen Audi group uh, have had problems with a diesel engine this year. Um, let's not forget the sales at Le Mans. The um, does it affect though how they will look at say something like the TDI programme uh, and say, oh, we kind of don't well, my first, my
5: first reaction to that actually was they need it more than ever, right? Because if you're tarnishing the reputation of, um, effectively, the engine that has built the success of the smaller um, VAG group, don't forget it's Skoda, it's it's CERT um, yeah, as well. You know how many of those cars that have that two liter TDI engine, and just about every car in the world has that engine in it. Um, you know, you need to have positive vibes about diesel engines, and winning races probably is the best one you can get at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, just make sure your particular filter is right wound up tight, so you don't get any smoke coming out of them. Um, I do feel that that the you know, I have no inner line to Volkswagen. The fact is that the, but you you just think that just by applying common sense, they need to do to keep on doing what they're doing and do nothing new, mm-hmm. because anything doing anything else is a reaction that will, will, which will engender huge criticism you know, if you pull a racing program because you've cocked up your emissions in in, in america it's not going to look good if, if you buy f1 when you're when you've got an f1 team when you've, when you've got an outstanding potential uh, liability of 18 billion dollars it doesn't look good but you know these things and these things don't disappear overnight this i say is i'm confidently expect this will be rumbling for a couple of years
1: Hmm. Uh, Yes, so that one's probably uh, gone away. Um, Just going back to Jensen, are we going to see him in sports cars? Do you know
5: what? I'm sure that Marshall Graham would know the answer better than me. Obviously, the rumour was that he was tied up with uh, a chance to run for Nissan uh, this year. That would be almost as bad as running for Honda, in fairness. Uh, Has been running for Honda, should I say. So it's interesting whether he uh, wants to try that again, given the problems that the, the Nissan has. Um, there are a limited number of seats available at uh, Porsche and Audi, and I don't think that they necessarily—they're they're looking at other world-famous racing drivers to go in there. Um, I'd, I'd love—I'd love to see it. I'd love to see him get a ride, you know. But um, perhaps Toyota might give him a home. I'm sure they want to. Do I think he's got a home at
1: Audi if he wants it. Really? Yeah. Well, that'd be
5: fantastic. We did.
1: Um, I, I can't—I I can't say who he would replace because I, I can't see them getting rid of anybody. Um, there will be one seat at Toyota uh, that will be available for sure, and he's got you know he he's the, the Japanese connection would be big with him and his wife. Um, that's a potential, but I think that will be filled by their test driver. The but I from other things that I've seen and heard, I I think there's something going on at Audi, uh, and I I'm going to now have to dig into that and find out why because I I've, I've been, I've been looking at things too literally that I have seen recently. And and now, I was in a conversation with someone back in the last week. Um, in fact, no, it was when I was talking to Cedric, Irvi and David, the, the small team that put together the highlights for the, for the WEC and another great job they did at the weekend, by the way, for the 52-minute show. Well done, guys. Uh, and we were talking about various things and i said something and then the penny dropped and i've been looking at at, at at things that i've seen in the paddock happening putting two and two together but but making it far too literal and i and i think there's an alternative explanation oh my and i Lord, think that's Fred, it. this is incredibly complex i'll tell you when we're off air oh marvelous <laughs> uh, at spect entertainment uh, at Rachel LeMond, you're listening to Midweek Motorsport, the big story tonight. Arden and Jota are together and uh, collaborating in bringing new talent, um, potential new talent into sports cars and technology and all kinds of uh, uh, partnership agreement going on with those two big names in British and indeed. uh, Worldwide Motorsport, the, uh, our Formula 1 correspondent, Nick Damon, is with us. And in a moment or two, we'll be picking up some comments from Marshall Pruitt. Uh, just hearing, uh, this is breaking news, uh, that Flying Lizards have just confirmed that they'll be going to Petty Le Mans, Guy Cosmo, uh, Colin Thompson and Thompson uh, uh, and uh, Thorn Racing. Uh, so Flying Lizards, back to Petit Lamont. Uh, good evening, Marshall Pruitt of Racer.com.
6: Good evening, Heidi.
1: Uh, that literally has just dropped into my inbox. Flying Lizard going back to Petite with the Audi R8 LMS. Clearly liked what they saw at Quarter at the weekend. I'm not sure you can add any more to that, but uh, that's... That's good news for us, and uh, and that's you know that's confidence from them.
6: Well, it was either R- the R8 or the R9, so I'm glad they went with the R8. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, um, I mean, are we? Are we getting closer to our old, old and dear friends at Flying Lizard uh, coming back more in the IMSA direction? I hope so. As we spoke about very recently, Heidi, uh, they you know since their direct factory participation with Porsche came to an end, uh, they've changed their business model somewhat significantly to incorporate uh, more customer-based programs. We've seen that uh, great success in Pirelli World Challenge with uh, McLaren and uh, Jim Huey, who owns the CAPAX team. And uh, I think we're only continuing to see this uh, in the Reborn IMSA series uh, with the R8s that they run. So I hope this continues, and I hope that uh, more than anything, this is a positive indicator for them the business is booming that's what we want right we want our uh, we want our sports car teams to have people knocking down their doors wanting to hire them to run them so i love news like this
1: yeah it's it's all very good news let's deal with gt's and and specifically with gt3s uh which uh, obviously that car will be next year and let's talk another volkswagen audi group product Urakan, the gt3 car the uh, the, uh, to be honest, just the cup cars look fantastic, but not one, not two, but three teams are saying that they want to come over to GT Daytona, uh, getting a head start on the rest with the GT3 Huracan.
6: Very cool. Some new names, not new in terms of they haven't run before, but to those who uh, strictly follow IMSA and maybe or the Tudor Championship and don't follow all of the uh feeder series and other series below some new names that would be looking to come in uh, i know that the o'gara motorsports team for example uh they have they were built from the outset uh with an eye to move into uh, the Tudor championship what will become the weather tech championship next year uh their team manager uh shane severinana he's uh Long, long uh, tenured guy in motor racing, team manager for Dorcott Racing. Great relationship there. Maybe just a quick little note that uh, Shane was a team manager for Dorcott and Indy Lights when Townsend Bell won his Indy Lights championship. And lo and behold, uh, Townsend, who's uh, very deep connections in Los Angeles, helped uh, bring Tom O'Gara uh, not only to some of the track based stuff that Townsend's involved in, but connected him with Shane. Uh Tom's looking to do something in motor racing, uh, in terms of professional stuff at least. So here's that cool little link come together, and now after uh, not you know one year in the sport, they're looking to reach uh, reach upwards. So I think it's great. New model, right, uh, for the Lambo coming into GT3, some new teams. Yes. Just kind of fits the growing theme of, uh, at least for what I'm seeing on this side of the, uh, the Atlantic Hyundai, uh, slow but continual growth and health being restored to uh, road racing in North America.
1: the uh, The other GT three story isn't perhaps so positive. The ongoing saga, I think we have to call it now, of Lexus. They weren't at the Ladoux test, which effectively means that car is not homologated for 2016 competition. But rumor. Uh, supposition speculation continues you've been trying to unpick this marshall what can you tell us
6: the latest round of running with the car uh, in japan Car was about 1.8 seconds off of what was uh, what they're looking for as the GT3 class leading time. Uh, I forget off the top of my head the exact position, but they qualified something like 22nd or 23rd out of 24, 25, and that was after uh, a lot of the updates and a lot of the testing that's been done. Again, this is Japan, separate from uh, or but you know tied in ways to what's been going on in Europe. But I think that was really a disappointing result received as, hmm, we've been working on this, trying to make this car better, and we're still significantly off. From what I was told uh, late last week, and then told again the beginning of this week, uh, there's been a decision internally that, uh, I actually shouldn't say if decision is the word, but it sounds like everything is pointed towards, uh, we need to maybe start redeveloping this car. Start from scratch continue uh, compared to keep trying going down the existing Mm. paths we are so i don't know where that's going to end up whether that is the cars that are running right now will end up being the cars that actually uh, race next year in imsa or you know VLN or some other not exactly fia approved circumstances uh, in full gt3 spec but i uh, have heard that they might Kind of, sort of, go back to the drawing board and wonder if they need to just, you know, go from the proverbial body in white and build outward again. Uh, don't know if that's going to happen, but I do know.
1: I think we're on iteration three, or, or possibly four, it depends how you count the original concept that um, Toyota in Cologne did of the G, or then a GTE car. But this has been a a hugely difficult birth for for Lexus to get, you know, get something settled. It's been a It's been a coupe, it's been a four-door, it's gone back to a coupe again. Uh, It it just seems as though they haven't really sketched out their mission parameters, if you will.
6: Maybe they need to make it a no-door. no door then nobody can get in, and then you don't have to hassle with it anymore. No, I mean, look, I, I love I love the Lexus brand. I love what they're trying to do. I think anybody who's seen photos of the car would just say, wow, bring that to the racetrack. Obviously, they don't want to do that until uh, it can run somewhere towards the front, or its teams can take the uh, the baton and get it there, Heidi. But uh, how's this? I expect to see a very significant re 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 development, uh program put in place with the car. They do have talent very talented folks, Farnbacher's, good Lord, in Europe. Mm. I mean they we don't need to say any more. Very talented people. Emil Frey very wealthy and motivated, but you know, are they maybe wondering if they need to spend more time on other models? We saw the Graham and our our friends at Daily Sports Car uh, had a great piece about them, maybe wondering if they need to spend their time and money elsewhere, but uh we I know, having spoken to a variety of folks, that uh, the car is still intended to come to America. Uh, we could could see an announcement uh, second week of October about who would be nominated to run that program in North America i know I know that uh, whomever is chosen, whichever team which uh, uh' been hearing for quite some time now it would be Paul Gentelosi and his team um, They would be tied fairly heavily to the global development program. Uh, I think that would be a good thing. Instead of tasking one team on one continent, uh, trying to involve all of the teams uh, to feed back central data and build from there, that would be very smart. Another thing I'll note quickly, and I won't put a whole lot of specifics on this, but initially – The car was intended. The plans were we're going to nominate a team, we're going to Daytona, and we're going to run the whole championship, Tudor championship. Uh, That has since changed. Don't know when it's going to, don't know who's going to get the contract, though we think we do. Uh, Don't know when that car or car would come over for development. Don't know exactly when they would be on track and running. If competing in in races uh, compared to competing to find more time, we're pretty confident that's all going to happen. But I do know that some of the folks, uh, maybe on the driver's side, maybe even on the crew side that had planned, uh, had signed up for this, expecting things to happen at Daytona from Daytona onward, uh, have had those plans maybe cast into a pretty big question. And I've heard of some who had uh, known were going to be a part of this uh, whatever the American program is with uh, Lexus, uh, have since been asking around. Hey, got an open seat for Daytona. Got an open seat for Sebring. So, uh, well, I,
1: I'd heard that that had been given to a team, Marshall, and that some pretty big names had been um, coaxed into it because of the length of time. Um, some which may have been uh, some of those driver names which may have been linked quite heavily with other manufacturers, and that that's going to really put the cat among the pigeons uh, about that.
6: Very, very true. Uh, I can tell you, <laughs> and you get this as well, Hindy. I know a lot of folks in our profession do. You get a lot of emails. You get a lot of texts from drivers. Yeah. Hey, you got a phone number for the right guy at this manufacturer. Hey, uh, who, who do I talk to here? I can tell you on the Lexus front, I'm sure you've been getting them too. A lot of drivers. Hey, who do I talk to? Uh, so we know that there's plenty of people that want to be involved. We also know that in this sport, uh, there are fewer paying jobs than ever. So naturally, drivers looking for an in- income would be interested. So yeah, uh, again, uh, their development issues or the, the having to slow this project. Uh, I know that there are some folks that have been maybe hoping on an income or hoping for things to kick off in January compared to uh, that lovely date of TBD. Uh, but sounds like that's where it's headed. I hope everything goes forward. I hope people get contracts. I hope money is spent. Uh, whether that car is racing uh, so halfway uh, through the season or whether it has to wait till 2017, can't say. But uh, hopefully, that goes forward. Uh, I've also heard that they've uh, signed a marketing contract uh, with IMSA, so that would be a good thing from a official manufacturer standpoint. So, again, it all it all points to good things happening. We just can't put a date on it yet. Uh,
1: forgive me for being entirely traditional in terms of how i spend money but i think as a manufacturer i might have wanted to have had a car that was homologated and ready to go before i entered into a marketing uh, a marketing contract nick with a with a series and had to hand over dollars do you know what that just sounds like a really good idea do you think that's not too traditional no, am i not thinking outside the box well you know what can you say perhaps
5: yeah, you could Put, put a hidden software program in it that might help it. Stop it.
1: Uh, Marshall Pro from Racer.com is with us on Midweek Motorsport. Nick Damon and John Hindoff with Johnny up in London. Um, very quickly, um, uh, we've got a lot to go through, so I'm going to rattle through a few things. Stay with GT3 for the time being. Uh, congratulations to Robin Liddell and Andrew Davis, who basically have to get the car into first gear. and. Uh, get it across the line at Road Atlanta to uh, win the Continental Tire Sports Car Challenge. And news that their sabbatical, if you will, in the Conti series may be coming to an end as soon as next year with a potential GT3 run for them and that team, which poses some thorny questions, particularly if they're going to stay with a GM product, Marshall.
6: Yeah, another uh, another great piece of work by Graham and the Daily Sports Car folks to uh, get that news out there first. Uh, I, boy, I'll tell you, A, thanks for reminding me because I forgot to write down when I woke up this morning to call my friends at Stevenson and ask some questions. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, well, hey, it happens every morning, you know, I'm an idiot. But uh, yeah, I look great people. Uh, the. <sighs> It'd be hard to see how they made that leap without there being a GM tie, and I don't want to get too heavily into their financials, Mm -hmm. but let's just say that uh, their success in the Continental Tire Series, since moving down from Grand Am's uh, Rolex GT category, has continued in the same vein Mm -hmm. of uh, works-affiliated support uh, and also is a a great uh, auto dealer as well. It'd be hard to see them, how they made that move uh, from the second-tier series to the top-tier series without there being manufacturer involvement. So if it isn't GM, uh, I'd be interested to find out which brand it would be with. But one way or the other, uh, everything the Stevensons happen to do uh, is involved in some way with the manufacturer uh, and improving auto sales. So um, if it isn't along those lines, I'd be quite interested to find out what it is
1: yeah don't uh, don't disagree with that uh, quick note on juan pablo montoya who was at quarter with Porsche knows the guys behind the scene of Porsche of course because they basically uh, pretty much took on the bmw formula 1 team lot and uh, pit boards to get the 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 pro, uh, project up and running uh, and he wasn't there just shaking hands with old friends apparently
6: well, he doesn't have any old friends because he's a decrepit old bastard. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, no, he. Uh, I love Montoya. He uh, Phone calls from him are some of my favorite things in the world because they're hostile, they're funny, and they're the most opinionated, opinionated things ever. And I don't know. I guess we're all kind of like that in some way. He was loving it. He was there. He was seeing it. He was sweating. He was you know just soaking it all in. Uh, another thing which uh, I knew and uh, you probably might have seen. Uh, there are a number of other, and you can take this in any in any direction you want, Heindy. I don't think there's anything behind it, but I could be wrong. But uh, let's just say that there were more than one Team Penske employee at Coda last weekend, uh, more than two, uh, uh, possibly more than three. So a fair amount of Penske personnel there. Uh, can't say or don't you – know, I don't actually believe that's meaning that there's something coming out of it. But regardless, a lot of people there last weekend. Uh, Juan being one of them, Juan who uh, we're expecting to be testing, uh, doing a serious, proper, uh, maybe future-minded test with Porsche and its P1 program. He's uh, returning to Team Penske. Sorry for lots of Ps in this description. Uh, He's returning to Penske next year for another IndyCar season. Uh, He'll be 40 years old, completing that season. Uh, Whether he returns after that, I don't know. I would say that Juan, being a very smart guy and a future-minded person, too, Uh, Is was probably looking into his interests beyond IndyCar. Uh, From what I know, uh, this was the Porsche folks uh, reaching out saying, hey, uh, what do you think? Want to try it? Um, And not just something for fun and publicity, but something real. So provided all that happens, uh, A, I think it'd be great. uh, And also... (sighs) I've read a few comments from enlightened folks on the internet saying that he's old and fat and he's slow and he's this and that and yeah, I can just tell no, no, you that's that... me.
1: That's me. Oh. Not, yeah, no, yeah. Not yeah well, uh,
6: sorry, and we've got sirens going on outside. What I would say that. What have you done, I that, have you done Marshall? Uh, having, uh, sorry, sorry. I forgot Stop to, upsetting the neighbors. I forgot to flush. Uh, I know that having <laughs> you know known Juan for a little while. And also worked pretty closely with him in IndyCar because that's, you know, in IndyCar, there's no real big separation between media and the drivers. It's a, it's a domestic series. You're kind of talking to each other all the time. Um, this guy is just the, one of the most fiery competitors I've ever met anywhere at any point in time. Still is, just wants to beat the world every morning he wakes up. And that hasn't changed with age. Uh, he's mellowed and matured as a human being, but when it comes to driving, the guy's just an animal, so I think he'd be perfect for this. Uh, for the Porsche program, uh, would only uh, complement what they have been doing. His international profile. I mean, we already think of Mark Webber as a massive star, by mm. far the most famous name among drivers in the WEC. If you can add uh, add Montoya to that or if and when Mark decides he's done, to have Montoya there maybe continuing that. It'd um, be a wonderful thing for the series, bring in, I think, a whole new element uh, promotions-wise. And if you think about uh, the WC going to Mexico next year, obviously Juan's Colombian, so, I mean, a big difference, but uh, to the Spanish-speaking world, uh, I can't think of a, a racing driver that's any more popular than JPM. So lots of great stuff should culminate in a test uh, somewhere at or around uh, Bahrain after the season finale. And uh, if we were to hear that JPM would be uh, moving to Porsche for 2017 and beyond, at some point, I wouldn't be surprised. I'd love it. Wow. Um,
1: just uh, before we move on to other matters, uh, where Rabbit says, how come uh, you didn't mention that uh, uh, that Robin Liddell and uh, Andrew Davis's team could go with GT3 with Cadillac in IMSA. Well, that's an interesting one because it, it. Haven't we heard now that Cadillac isn't going to IMSA GT3 and and the, and at the moment the Corvette GT3 is not allowed by licensing to run in in North America. That's how that's how I've understood it at least. That's kind of how.
6: How I understand things too, Heidi. I haven't heard a word uh well, granted, it could be because I just haven't heard, and everybody knows it, and I don't, but I haven't heard anything about the Cadillacs uh, running in d t Daytona next year. I've asked spoke with uh, General Motors racing director Mark Kent uh, probably a month ago, uh, maybe a, six weeks ago, and asked him that question, and I'll have to go back and look at his exact answer. But uh, it wasn't a, yeah, maybe we're thinking about it, we're not sure. I seem to recall being fairly definitive about not doing that. Um, And plus, I don't think you're going to see any major decisions on anything related to the WeatherTech Championship in 2016, change-wise big adjustment wise uh, when it comes to the uh, General Motors programs. Obviously the prototype category with the Daytona prototypes, um, there could you know, could there be a change there? Yeah, as I wrote about a couple months ago, Troy Fleece and the Spirit of Daytona team you know, uh, hey, we don't know if we're going to get a contract for 2017, we don't even, we haven't heard from GM what they're doing should we wait, should we go early and just do our own thing with a P2? I wrote about that, someone else wrote about that recently so that could be a change but I'd say that's more team-based than manufacturer-based. I think any, I think, any major GM changes or modifications would be 2017 with P2s coming in. If not, and we do see caddies at Daytona, Hindy, how awesome would that be?
1: No, I'm already on that. And uh, Stephen Gate among others says. What, JPM on a quality lap at Le Mans? Oh, spectacular will be the word. Uh, we spoke a few weeks ago about uh, Australian, an Australian series, single seat series, Australian Formula Ford getting on the Mazda road to Indy. Today, news comes of uh, something a little closer to home for us, that being the Scottish Formula Ford 1600 Championship. Dario Franchitti very much involved in pulling that together. Who? like uh, some young Scottish talent, trying clearly trying to carve carve out a role for himself. Um, Has been, all, oh yeah, um, at least not and never was like like me. Uh, the in all seriousness, though, Marshall, I, I'm liking more and more what I'm hearing about this Master Raw. It's 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 effectively almost a a World Series or a World Scholarship with a couple of hundred grand. Up for grabs. I noticed Sean Rahal saying this has got to be the best way to go motor racing. Somebody's giving me a big bursary, effectively, to go and do the next part of, of my career. And OK, it's the Scottish Championship. It's got Dario Kitty uh, as, a, as a headline. It made the Scottish TV news uh, uh, earlier uh, this week, yesterday, I think, or, or this evening. But the whole concept of this is coming together rather nicely.
6: It is, isn't it? Uh, great, great points from young Sean. You can look at the fact of what Mazda spends, what they do, the the incentives that they dangle in front of kids, in front of parents, wondering, should I spend a couple hundred grand for little Johnny to try and make his his way or make her way to uh, Indy? And you can see that there's someone, there's a manufacturer there trying to reach out and say, yeah, come do it. We'll, we'll put something up. Your kid might not win it. But at least you know if they do have the talent, they could get there. I love that. You can also look here in America and not to take away from uh Mazin anyway, but there's also the uh, SCCA just announced last week in Dakota, which you probably saw the new uh internationally linked Formula Four series which will be coming so there's another you know truly budget minded uh mm-hmm. entry level open wheel category. Uh, If I look at what Mazda is doing domestically with the Mazda Road to Indy, three tiers uh, directly, USF 2000, Pro Mazda, Indy Lights, and all the other connections it has in karting, as you mentioned, in Scotland now, where the winner of this will get a chance for the shootout here, I mean... (sighs) pretty awesome, Heidi. Uh, I, it makes me wonder why other manufacturers aren't clamoring to do the same in Europe, or uh, other series aren't trying to find ways to tie in with the Mazda Road to Indy, wherever they are in, in the world. Um, there's a pretty good thing going on, and I can look. I was at, at Monterey for uh, the season finale, saw three champions crowned, spoke them right after they won, and those kids looked like... Santa Claus just kissed him on yes. both cheeks and said here's a huge check you're going, you're making the next step uh, mm. pretty amazing stuff so I'm loving good.
1: it It's all good, a uh, couple of other stories before I let you go tonight, I want to talk about World Challenge and the new man at the head of that, I know there's been quite a few conversations going on, you and Graham and a number of other people, and just like to get a little bit of a, a handle on where that's going, we know Nissan's looking into the third car Uh, into that series for next year but before that i want to bounce back to sports cars and to lmp3 particularly uh the nissan riley rv ar2 um not quite on the track uh, but not far away
6: not far away thankfully Another cool thing is Bill Riley is obviously the the main person we speak with, but his dad Bob, legendary designer, he's been a he, you know he's been the primary designer on this too. That's just a cool thing for old folks like me who love history. But yeah, it's coming close. Uh, Tony Ave, great guy, is you know big part of this too. Not the first project he's been involved with with Riley, so that's getting closer. I mean, heck, knew it was just, uh, what, April when it seemed like mm-hmm. uh, the only LMP3 that existed was the Genetta. And uh, good on them for being first out. It's also great now to see other manufacturers getting, uh, getting their products out. And uh, I'm only happy to hear that we'll have another one coming uh, soon to hit the track. Hopefully it takes off. Hopefully this becomes a, a strong uh, supporting uh, layer but, uh, to get folks into the prototype side of what we love so much.
1: Uh, And what of the new chap then at uh, World Challenge, a a native of Austin, he made himself known to a number of the major at the Circuit of the Americas. He wasn't at all touting for business, but he did have, and you know much more about this than, than I do, he did have a long and I'm told fruitful meeting with Scott Atherton.
6: He did. Uh, spoke with both gents about that. They were really And then let's say, we
1: should say, uh, Marshall, sorry, we should say there's been animosity between these two series in the past, and for him to go and reach out to Scott is actually quite a bold move, and it seems to have been a worthwhile one, and, and detente has been restored.
6: Perfect way of putting it, Heindy. Uh, you know this. I'm telling you, I don't think the world knows, about, or most of the world knows about this. Uh, there was effectively a full media boycott of Pirelli World Challenge for some time, strictly due to the abusive practices of its former CEO. Uh, our friend and colleague, Graham Goodwin, uh, made the effort to uh, go all the way from the UK to Austin earlier this year for the Pirelli World Challenge opener and was just treated shoddily. Uh, one of my former colleagues at Speed, John De DeGeese, uh, same kind of treatment, just it's something where uh, you wouldn 't accept it if it was your spouse or when your parents talking to you like that, like a dog repeatedly uh, and you know but let 's just say that uh, i 've experienced that as well uh, luckily i 'm also a big boy and one of the bigger chaps, but uh, I weathered that as well. Um, Greg Gill knows that has been reaching out for quite some time while that was happening to apologize to try and make good. He's been on full, full understanding that for World Challenge to go forward. First step, absolute first step, mend fences. And there's lots of them, miles of broken fences, uh, none of which were of his making. That, to me, is the right way to go about things. We don't, have, we don't have, I know we're run out of time here, Heindy, but what we don't have in North America is the ability for another cart IRL war, which destroyed open-wheel racing. We don't have the ability right now or the financial strength for IMSA and World Challenge to try and beat each other up, which – there has been a little bit of that going on. I would say it's, it had been more from World Challenge trying to talk smack and drag down IMSA than the other way around. But good on Greg for recognizing. Yeah,
0: Greg. Uh,
6: let, let's make sure World Challenge and IMSA are straight. Scott Atherton was very happy. He had, gave us a great quote saying he hopes the interim tag is removed from Greg's title. Um, great, strong guy. Not a big, not a big bullish guy. But uh, I am, for the first time in many years, incredibly excited about where the series could go. And they're talking to Derek Walker about trying to bring him in in some role. So nothing but uh, encouraging news coming out of World Challenge right now.
1: Yeah, and I think that's really, really important. Mike Hedlund, who is listening tonight. Hello, Mike. Uh, As I've said before, Mike and I don't always agree. Uh, We've had some spirited conversations. Discussions over Twitter in 140 characters. He tweets, uh, I'd your tonight. Uh, Greg reaching out to IMSA is how a leader should lead. Bravo. Hashtag stop the search. Uh, and um, Shea Adams saying, for the record, I really, really like Greg Gill. He's smart guy and I hope PwC leaves him in power. And I've got to tell you, uh, that was the sort of uh, a feeling and comment I was getting from an awful lot of people at the weekend. Just a couple of other uh, notes uh, that uh, we haven't got time for to talk about, but uh, um, Stefan Mucker as reported on Racer.com, rejoining Aston Martin uh, for Fuji next month. He sat out the last couple of rounds, Johnny Adam being a more than capable substitute there. Uh, And staying with Aston Martin and WEC, a story that we need to get our heads across and sort of gets into what Graham was talking about, the Ledoux test earlier on. Aston Martin wants a change in the balance of performance process, something a little bit more transparent. What's the difference between a waiver and balance of performance? And um, I think that's actually something that would benefit us all. Marshall, uh, I know how busy you've been the last few weeks. Uh, Just a quick update, if you would, please, on the Justin Wilson uh, auction. It went bananas at the weekend.
6: Mate, I just looked now. I mean, it's it's 205 California here on Wednesday. Jensen Button's helmet that he wore at Monza uh, went up on Monday. I just looked. It's at $30,100, and it's still mm-hmm. got six days to go. I love it. This is amazing. So That's many people only- are doing
1: Yeah, it's the only button helmet that will be up for sale this year. Jensen has made that very, very clear. Lots of good stuff to be added that was collected uh, from various sources at the weekend. A Nick Tandy suit, a Mark Webber suit. Uh, Nick Tandy's is a Le Mans winning suit, of course. That's been worn. Mark Webber's is the one-off red and white suit. Yeah, Mm. and and
6: thanks to you and the Radio Lamont team, specifically Shea Adam, for making all that happen in my absence last weekend. I'll just I'll mention this quickly and I'm I'm trying to finish up a story about all the suits. It's kinda crazy (laughs) if you look at all the fire suits have been donated. I'll be headed this weekend to Monterey for the incredible Porsche Ren Sport reunion. And Yeah, I know. Life sucks. Um, I'll be headed there for that, what uh, I'm hoping, and I'll be asking the folks at Auction Cause if they can make this happen, but we should have all of these amazing Porsche suits, including Jörg Bergmeister, uh, Fred McAvecki, uh Patrick Long, Patrick Dempsey. Uh, oh. all of these big Porsche suits should be in their hands by Friday. I'm going to see if they can push them up and push them onto the site right then instead of waiting for their Monday update. Knowing we have Sport going and of all the Porsche fans in the world coming together in Monterey, I'd love to see them uh, bidding on them this weekend.
1: Marshall, I know how busy you are. Thank you for your time this evening. Have a good week and we'll speak to you next week. Thanks brother. Marshall Pruitt from racer.com joining us. Uh, just, uh, Final note to uh, to Nick Dearman there. Interesting that uh, Stefan Mucker is back for Aston Martin. We wondered uh, whether I thought he was off to Ford. I'm obviously yeah, wrong, or well...
5: it doesn't matter. But they, uh, it was a weird thing to step him, set him down um, if he wasn't um, being taught a lesson or talked about. But hey, you know, sometimes sometimes the Machiavellian rumours are wrong.
1: Um, quick. Uh, story uh, from Formula 1 just to finish off with tonight. Arriva Biani has questioned a potential wind tunnel ban. Yes. Now that's odd because a few years ago Ferrari would have been delighted about a wind tunnel ban because they couldn't get theirs to work.
5: Yeah, they got Toyotas now. Um, no, Toyotas too. What came out, I think I mentioned last week that we hadn't heard the outcome of the uh, working committee which just happened on the Monday. That then I think happened on either Thursday or Friday it came out and they got a raft of ideas. One of the ideas is to ban wind tunnels um, they, they put up a pricing structure for new engines and year old engines um, so there's a lot of stuff going on there but the one thing was they banned the wind tunnel which to me seems like a really silly idea but you know how is it going to save money when everyone's already built their wind tunnels mm.
1: True enough, true enough. My thanks to uh, Jota and Arden, Sam Hancock and Julian Rouse, to Graham Goodwin of DailySportsCar.com, of course, to Marshall Prot of Racer.com and to our F1 correspondent here, Nick Damon. The responsible adult was Eve Hewitt. The duck was fantastic and Johnny Palmer was the man who made it all work up in London. I'm John Hindorf, but there's no time to explain the llama Is off to do a two pronged program, some of it in single seaters, some of it (laughs) in LMP2. Good night. uh...
0: This program is a radio show limited production. Tell your friends there's more at RadioLamont.com.